Well, let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 70. Psalm 70. This is a quick psalm. Very speedy, one commentator says. This is God's inspired and therefore inerrant word. Psalm 70. To the choir master of David for the memorial offering. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be put to shame and confusion who seek my life. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let them turn back because of their shame who say, Ah, ah. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great, but I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. Let us pray. O our Father and our God, we ask for your blessing as we open your word. Uh, May your word indeed light our path, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Psalm 70 is a short, speedy prayer for help. You know, I love it when I go into a Mexican restaurant at lunchtime. The lunch menu always seems to have very fascinating names for uh, what is on offer. And my favorite thing to get on occasion is the Speedy Gonzales, because you know it will not take long to get to the table. Psalm 70 is like that. It is a speedy, short little prayer for help uh, in which we petition God. It's only five verses long, and it's drawn almost entirely from Psalm 40, verses 13 to 17. Now, there's some slight changes of order and vocabulary among the terms, such as the names for God are shuffled, and you would be surprised at how much ado some commentators can make over the reordering of a name or two here or there. Um, But little of substance can really be made of such variations. This is a very particularly special use of a psalm. That is, uh, Psalm 40 appears to have been taken and a very special use made of a portion. It's a bite-sized bit. If, if Psalm 40 is a grand feast laid out on the table for you to enjoy for a Thanksgiving dinner, Psalm 70 is like the turkey sandwich the next day that you get to carry in your lunch. It's there, it's short, it's ready, it's tasty, and it's just what you need in that moment. Calvin refused to even commentate commentate on this particular psalm. He said, well, it's uh, drawn from Psalm 40, and really there's nothing to say, so go back and look there. Now, it's introduced to us in the little introduction as to the choir master of David for the memorial offering. And those words are unique. Not that it's of David or to the choir master, but the language of for the memorial offering. Uh, is important. 
you see that, that it's of David lets us know that it's the prophet priest who brings it, having been uh, prophet, uh, the king prophet who's been inspired by God, and he brings it and lays it before the people of God as the very word of God that's been breathed out through him. And it's laid out before the choir master. And so the choir master takes this particular uh, portion and then sets it to a tune that is appropriate. And it's to be sung and to be used in corporate public worship, as well as being appropriate in private, personal, toe-tapping worship as well. When you're all by yourself, humming it, singing it, reciting it, remembering it, this is like one short, slender arrow, which is shot into the heavens when we ask God for help in a pressing time of need. This language of for a memorial or for the memorial offering seems to indicate that it is something that is placed before God, as it were placed before the altar of God, placed where everyone can, can know that God sees, that God hears, And because of his covenant love, he will surely answer. God is expected to act in response to this speedy prayer for help. The psalmist's whole tone is one in which he strongly expects an answer. It's almost as if David expects to hear back from the Almighty, let's roll and we'll deal with this problem. There's a clear note of urgency in the psalm. And so let us listen to the psalmist's voice as we hear him sing this short prayer for speedy help. Now, in the first three verses, he teaches us that the lovers of God face the enemies of hate. And this is just what life is like in a fallen world. Even from the the first pages of Genesis, we learn that there are two different lines and there's an ongoing, rolling down through history, struggle between the seed of the woman and his followers and the serpent and the seed of the serpent who follow him. Here David sings to us of the lovers of God facing the enemies of hate. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be put to shame and confusion who seek my life. Here David is singing, and the words that come out of his mouth, yes, are addressed to God in prayer, but the occasion of the prayer is that he's singing about the enemies of hate. Those who hate him. Those who are out to undo him. Those who are pursuing his life, they want to kill him. And so he shoots a quick prayer to God in heaven. The prayer is so brief that we don't know who his enemies are. There's no contextual information given. The little under introduction tells us how to use that psalm and think about it. But it doesn't tell, it, tell us when it was first composed. And if we go back to Psalm 40, we don't get definitive historic information either in the inspired text. But that general nature and that vague background help each one of us because it means this prayer is perfectly suited to our situation in which we, as lovers of God, find ourselves opposed and persecuted 
and at times on the verge of being undone by the enemies of God who hate. It could well be that there are some marauding Canaanites uh, that are coming in and, and attacking David and his forces. And so David, on from his chariot as it were, shoots an arrow into the heavens, this short little quick flying arrow, asking for God's aid. Or it may be that instead of a marauding band, there was a giant threatening army coming either from the north or, or threatened from the south. And, and David is concerned about the consolidation and settlement of the land of Israel that God has given him. Also very possible, instead of it being external forces, perhaps the opposition comes from within. From within Israel. Uh, from one of the twelve tribes. From from one of the reaches of his empire. Perhaps there is opposition and there are those seeking to undo him. Or it could well be, even from the establishment, from those who surround themselves with false love and support in his court, who oppose him even at close hand. Kings face all of these forms of opposition. We don't know exactly what kind of opposition David faced, but we know the nature of it. The source is unknown to us, but what it's like to be under the pressure and shadow of someone seeking your life, to live the life of a fugitive, as it were, is something that David knew well and that we know in our own souls as believers. For you see, this psalm was on the lips of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus sang this psalm. He prayed this psalm. Uh, This psalm was one perfectly suited to his situation as he was opposed by by Herod and Pilate who represented the government of Rome. As he found himself facing hatred from Sadducees and Pharisees and and others who would twist his words or, or seek to entrap him, to impose him and seek his end. And how especially poignant it is for us as we hear David sing these words and to know that David's greater son faced those who would seek his life and would even succeed and take his life, but yet he would take it back up in power and glory and the resurrection. The lovers of God have always faced enemies of hate who hate them because they hate their God. And the enemies of hate also delight in the harm that they bring. Verse 2 says, Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Here David is singing about something that is an all too common feature of the ordinary Christian life in the fallen world. Those who look at us not just with a funny grimace on their face, but who are actively pleased when we're in danger or rejoice inwardly even if they don't say it outwardly when we stumble and fall. They delight to see someone else harmed, especially someone who's on the Lord's team. A lover of God finds the heart of the enemy of hate uh, to be a constant and serious opposition. And so what do you do 
when you're surrounded with a frown or a fake smile, a dagger in the cloak or or a wishing and a hoping for you to fall and be crushed. Here David shows us what to do. And indeed, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ followed this same pattern. We lift up our bow to heaven and we shoot that quick prayer to the throne on high. We speak to God our God. We speak as our Lord did to His heavenly Father. And we know that He is powerful and sovereign and that His hand of might is able to rule and overrule all the schemes of men. He knows their hearts better than they know themselves. And He is able to protect and guide and direct in His covenant love so that all that happens in our experience does not fundamentally contradict that prayer. You see, when we pray to God and ask Him to make haste and to deliver us and to help us, we do so not just as some voice echoing through the cosmos. We cry as a child of God, as a believer in Christ, to our Heavenly Father. We pray in His name, and so we know that the answer to our prayer will be yea and amen in Christ Jesus our Lord. We like to remind ourselves that sometimes God's prayer, our prayer to God is answered by Him saying yes, and other times no, and then sometimes the proverbial maybe, which means kind of wait and see, and I'll tell you later. And there is truth in that kind of analysis. But you know, if we put on our glasses and fine-tune them a little more, we'll see that His answer is always yes in Christ. Yes to the substance of what we pray for as the Holy Spirit prompts and guides. That the answer to our prayer is in line with His name and His will and His purposes. We don't know how to pray. That's one reason why the Lord had to teach us. And we always should follow His example. Not my will be done, but thine be done. And so as David is praying and asking for God's help and deliverance, as we take these same words in our mouth we remember that He can see the hearts of those opposing us and He can give an answer that is best for our souls and for His kingdom, both at the same time. But it's not just that the enemies of hate do the southern thing and keep it inside and don't express it verbally. They also speak out. David in verse 3 lets us know that the enemies of hate also mock with derision. He says in verse 3, let them turn back because of their shame, who say, aha, aha. Now, we probably don't go around saying, aha, aha, a lot, unless we're singing some strange song. But this is pointing to a profound truth about the fallen world. Those that oppose God and oppose His people, they love to mouth off about it. They love to mock and to deride and to shame. If they're not using this knife or the sword to oppose us, then they're using their heart and the sword of their tongue. And they can hurt and they can harm very deeply. Do you remember as a child where when uh, you would be told that your mother wears army boots, that you would respond in the standard perfunctory way, Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. And no greater lie has ever been foisted 
upon childhood. Yes, sticks and stones can hurt my bones, but words can crush me from which it is sometimes very difficult to heal. Perhaps you're like myself and and you have these little flashes of memory down through the years. Or is this just happening to me in my old age alone? These flashes of memory where you remember certain things said or done, they replay in your mind like uh, some YouTube video clip of just a few seconds or, or just a moment. And sometimes those are occasions on which there is so much sadness and there was so much hurt. How Johnny could have said that so many years ago and I could still continue to suffer and wither under his words 50 years later, I don't know. But it's part of the mystery and part of the misery of what it's like to live in a fallen world as a fallen creature. In heaven, we'll have no more of that. In heaven, there will be no recounting of the words and of the harm and of the heartache. There will be no shame. There will be no hurt that will repeat and echo from their voices down through our lives. The enemies of hate, they will be put to silence by the powerful hand of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the effect of their tongues in our lives also can be calmed and healed by His grace, by His mercy, by His presence in that place of void and harm. He can speak peace where there is no peace so that we might face the day. Oh, the lovers of God, in this short psalm we see, they face the enemies of hate, and that's real and true. But praise the Lord, that's not the only message here, for we also hear not a minor key, but but a more happy set of notes in the second point, which is the lovers of God seek the Lord. Verse 4 says, May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. Here we listen to David sing joyfully about the fact that the lovers of God, in their souls, in the depth of their beings and their hearts, they rejoice. You know, the shorter catechism's right. What is the chief end of man? It's to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And we do both of those things. We enjoy Him and we glorify Him together. Oh, what, what a wondrous love. What a wondrous gift in salvation that rejoices our hearts and opens springs of life from within us, living water that overflow to be a blessing to others around. Oh, the lovers of God, rejoice. And we need to hear that sometimes. Because you see, we need help to rejoice. We need encouragement. We need someone to, to walk with us and hold us by the hand. We need some with, someone who can work in our hearts and stir within us and aid us that we indeed might live as believers, trusting in the Lord, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, seeking Him, putting our face towards Him in prayer and life, 
with the natural, the supernatural effect that He gives us joy and peace even in the most difficult of circumstances. Oh, the lovers of God, they rejoice in the Lord. And they also love His salvation. Did you catch that second parallel half of verse 4? May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. You see, those who love God love Him and are thankful to Him, not just as Creator, and not just as the one who gives us life and breath and strength, but they also rejoice in the fact that He is the God of our salvation, that He picks us up out of the pit, that He chooses us not because of ourselves, but in spite of ourselves. And that He lifts us up and He washes us in the blood of Christ and He robes us in what we do not have in ourselves, which is righteousness, the earned active righteousness and obedience of Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we stand with a crown on our head and a ring on our finger and a robe on our back, which all have come from our elder brother. And they shine with the glory of God. Oh, how our hearts rejoice and sing with David as lovers of God in passion for Him as our Savior. This salvation is central to Christian living. It's central to everything in our Christian lives. Every morning that we wake up, we know that the one that stares back at us in the mirror is not only someone who had a had a rough night and needs a little makeup, but but also someone who's a sinner by nature and needs forgiveness and encouragement. We need the Lord whispering in our ears through His Word, reminding us of our solid, safe place as justified sinners and of our calling, our high calling in Jesus Christ to... Learn of Him from His Word and law. To to strive with every grace and strength and opportunity that He gives to give Him glory. To show love back to Him through our, yes, childish attempts, but, but good attempts. He counts them because of the blood of Christ to live to His glory. Oh, salvation is central to the hope that we have that He who has saved us will come back for us that He will not abandon us in this place full of the enemies of hate. And so, the lovers of God rightly respond in doxology and bless the Lord. Now, I hate to say it, but I think think some of the terrorist problems that we're having kind of spoil for our ears uh, the God is great phrase, but that's a true and a wonderful thing for us to assert with a stamped foot in spite of all of the murderous ways of some of the enemies of the Lord. Oh, the doxology that comes from our lips and the hymns and songs and spiritual songs of glory to His name that we sing should never cease. The Lord should always receive the blessings and the adoration and song and praise of the lovers of God. And yes, the lovers of God should also do one other thing. They should do exactly what Psalm 70 is designed for. They should shoot that little arrow with their bow up to heaven. The lovers of God should always cry out 
to the Lord. We should be the ones who, as verse seven or verse five says of Psalm 70, humble our hearts and recognize that while God is great, we are but poor and needy. We should be ones who come on bended knee, bowing before Him, not as a measure of posture to manipulate Him and get our way, but rather in light of the fact that He is great and good and we are not, that He is mighty and able and we are not. And so we come to Him beseeching and even asking His children with outstretched arm that He might give His blessings to us. Oh, the lovers of God cry to the Lord from a position of humility and they cry to Him for help. You see, in the in verse 5, we're told, You are my help and my deliverer. And this is a fact that every believer needs to hold fast to. Even in the darkest of hours, Jesus did not lose sight of His heavenly Father. He does not cease offering requests to Him in prayer. Even the prayer of dereliction indicates that in that most weak and that most vulnerable, and that most difficult of circumstances, Jesus was able yet to bend back the bow and shoot that little arrow into heaven, crying out to Him for His presence, for His help, that He might complete the race until He could rightly say, It is finished. And so too we cry out to our Heavenly Father. Make haste, O God, in verse 1. Make haste to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. We need the Lord to rescue us from all of the enemies and, and devastating circumstances that we face past, present, and future. We need help from Him to handle the shame that the enemies of God and of His love heap upon us. That's why David, in faith, looking to the Lord to turn the table, to rotate that lazy Susan, may they eat the pottage of shame rather than he himself. And we must with David look to the Lord to be the one to defend us, the Lord to be the one to turn them back God will take their mocking and He will replace it with rejoicing in our heart. And they will yet hear from Him whose hand is mighty and will not always be stayed. You see, He will answer our prayers. He will answer your prayers. And He will answer them, yea and amen in Christ, better than you know how to ask because of His covenant love. David is emphatic. He's stamping his foot. He's almost complaining to God. Hurry up. Hasten. Help me. Do not delay are the last words of the prayer. It's like that email or text that you get in desperation from your child at college. Help me. Send money. 
we shoot that little arrow up with David, emphatically needing the Lord's help. And we too can be sure that he will answer because of his covenant love towards us. He is God and our God. He is not just our maker and sustainer. He is our savior. He's not just the powerful God. He is the personal God. And so we can pray with David and with Jesus full of faith. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. But I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O God, do not delay. Good words to help you when you need a short, speedy prayer. Let's pray. Oh, our Father and our God, we do ask that this prayer might be on our lips and on our hearts, that we might know the comfort and presence of your Holy Spirit as we pray it. For indeed, these words are of divine origin. And we ask that you would show yourself to be a God of great covenant love and power and that you might rescue us in just the way our Lord Christ asks and wants, that we might give you the glory all our days in Jesus' name. Amen.